You're listening to Wednesday Wonders on the Mutual Audio Network. Be amazed. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that all children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. You're listening to The Carlson Chronicles, an audio drama with a twist. This is a Privy Projects production. May 9th, 4062 began like any other freehold day. James Anthony in the Communications Center, Tad Johnson in his office at the Ambassadorial Offices, Rachel Robson in the Scribes Library, and Jack Bilson in the Combined Bioengineering Lab and Anthropology Dean's Office. It was Friday. In the old reckoning, Jack had duties as the leader of the Peace Officer Corps Commandant in a few hours. Everyone was busy. The scientists had hypothesized the climatology changes in little bits and pieces as far back as the 1970s. The world had ended in fire. It wasn't a nuclear blast that had sealed them in this hole. It was the fire of arrogance. The old world leaders had even used God as an excuse to pillage and plunder the Earth's resources. Earth itself had sent messages through increased numbers of earthquakes, massive swings in storm severity, and the rebirth of volcanoes long dormant. Rachel picks up the hard line and clicking out the sequence needed to talk to Elsie Ben Davie in administration. People were already pulling out the family tree and recovering their birthright names. Elsie answered the phone with a cheerful hello. Elsie, you tell Tad Johnson, James Anthony, Steve Kirkson, and Jack Bilson that I want all four of them sitting around my kitchen table before 1000 hours. I don't care if they're busy. It's 0600 hours now. That gives those men four hours to get important day in line. I'll talk to you later. T, here at 1400 hours? That works for me too. Roger, I have the data moon base. Freehold three, out. I've got to distribute this. Kirkson first. Rachel already got it in the back loop. Jed Johnson, Anadarko, Medicine Park, Chaco Canyon, Phoenix Freehold, Fort Sill, Sulphur Springs, Cornwall Freehold, and then Cornwall can catch everyone else. I knew I was related to the scribes through my great-great-grandmother, but how did they ever cope with Perfect Recall? I am close enough to Perfect Recall that I really wish I could say, I forgot. I'd never get away with that, darn. The storm was massive. It was at least two days away. The leading edge of the spin stretched from Old Oregon to the south tip of what once was Baja, California. Storm death reached halfway to the Hawaiian Islands. One of the moon base's specific buoy drops had been lost to 15 to 40 foot waves. This was not good. No, not good at all. Rachel's door was standing wide open. The note on the whiteboard read, enter my door at your own risk. If you're late to arrive, woe be unto you. I'm in the kitchen. I know. I'm just the narrator. That this is going to get interesting. I'm here and on time. Do you hear me? Then get into the kitchen, old man. Rachel has made coffee, biscuits, and gravy. We were here early. Where were you? It's about time. I thought I was the only one who could walk in nearly late and be here ahead of time. I've been into the history archives. That can wait until we've talked out the first issues. James, the floor is yours. There is a monster storm coming on the western shore. Right now, the winds are estimated to be at more than 215 miles per hour. It's rain, sleet, and then thunder snow. The meteorological computers estimate time to arrival in our skies at three days. I've passed the data on to anyone and everyone on the radio network. 
I reported that during the morning broadcast. Why the rehash? The settlement will have the main modular office building in place by then. It goes up today. There will not be finished walls inside yet. Bolt the bits together and plug in the generators. It's an instant habitat. There's room for everyone inside. Or I could send troops to haul them all back until this blows over. If I were them, I'd stay put no matter how many troops you send, Jack. They've never been out in a big storm before. James, did you talk to Kelly or Cassie? Both, but they refer me to O'Brien. He's the mayor for now. So all the children and their charges will be safe? I don't believe this. Are we sure that they'll be safe? Would they even come back? Dad, storms are not predictable. The weather has been supercharged for the last 2,000 years. If James' analysis is on the mark, yes, they will be safe. I called this meeting because of a cryptic remark was made by the Forster leader Kessa. During that fireside chat, Indians first survey. She indicated they were left outside to guard the guardians. The records say she is correct. It gets even more cryptic in our records. That sealed vault on level 9 has been sealed, well, forever. It has its own power. The records say it's an antimatter generator. What kind of lab needs an antimatter generator? I just don't understand why we are left out of the loop. The engineering school's archives say the same. They also say leave it alone until the scribe tells us to shut it down. There are over 900 pages in the shutdown procedure, but no tunnel area around level 9 goes the entire mountain circumference. There's only the one entrance to the vault and nothing else on that level. It lies on the central staff of the freehold. The final seal it up order has been issued by Rachel Cohen's son after Ephraim Cohen disappeared. Let's go open the door. Do any records tell us what's in there? Ian read about level nine. Then he sealed the briefings as above top secret. He's as bad as his dad ever was about keeping things secret. The note that pops up when I try to access it says, Mom, it's sealed until the time is right. Ian's got his own bit of arrogance, it seems. <laughs> Did Kyle leave any instructions? Yes, those are worse. Kyle's pictograph of me, you, Steve, and James bend over a pot of gold nuggets. In the caption reads, Anticipation. I printed one for each of us. How'd Kyle know we'd be the ones looking? Sometimes I half believe that Kyle was clairvoyant. He was always showing up exactly when and where he was needed. It looks very much like we wait. Well, it looks like they got told off. <laughs> I'm so glad that I'm only the narrator for this plot. I sure wouldn't want to go up against Rachel. Whew. Anyway, Kelly is on the radio with a purpose. She's concerned about the coming storm. She has to clear her throat and release her held breath before she makes the call to the freehold. KGK3 base, this is JSB, over. JSB, this is KGK3 base, over. When is the bit below due, over. The latest data suggests the evening of the 9th. That's at least 12 hours faster than we anticipated, over. O'Brien wants to know when the computers will be available for this installation, over. Anytime after the storm. The biochips are testing stable at 4.3 gigahertz. Your base radio is ready as well. Officially, your call sign will change from Jed Station Base or JSB if you prefer the JJC. Over. JJC seems more clear. Could you have Rachel recorded as preferred? O'Brien is here and informs me we are ready for the blow. 
All 6,700 of us are undercover. We grew by Truna Foresters. There are some transfers here from a forester settlement called Romanos. Some of them speak better English than I do. Over. Our conversation has been recorded. Rachel Robson, scribe, is monitoring our frequency on her new scanner. That is another new gadget we didn't know we needed. I gotta go. Anadarko base is calling. Out. JJC is out. Do you think it'll be easier to talk back and forth once the plasma cables have hardened and ran? That link will cost us three months revenue from power sales to the freehold. Yeah, I know it's expensive. We have no working satellites of our own. There's only the new one the Moon Colony built and launched. Time on it would be even more costly. It's supposed to be a better link between the freeholds and the space colonies. The pharmaceuticals the moon base makes are coming via their drone fleet. It's sad they can't come home. Dad thinks someday we'll be able to build an Earth orbital station. Then we can talk to them face to face. Do we even want that? Hmm. They're the outgrowth of the old world. I know they survived up there rather than going underground like we did, but their form of government seems very restrictive, even dictatorial. I don't want them to force that kind of oligarchy on us. You're thinking deep thoughts today. Is this a new and improved Kelly Kirkson? No, I'm just being protective of my new and improved, if impoverished, colony. Would you be a dear and take this disc transcript this morning's check-in to Cassie? Why is she still living in that hard-sided tent thing anyway? Her quarters got put on hold when the news of that storm came in yesterday. I designed that hovel. It has everything she needs in it. It is 400 square feet of luxury living for the camping enthusiast. And before you ask, as long as the winds don't sustain above 90 miles an hour, she's safe. Never will I get a real answer out of you. You're a man. It's still hovel. Now go ahead, ticker this disc. I'm busy. We are going to take a short break for a sponsor message. We'll be right back. Imagine the world around you is nothing but an illusion. Creatures of legend wage endless wars between shadow and light, but you never see it. Even now, dark forces threaten reality as we know it, but most people never know they exist. This is the world I walk in. I am called Byron, and these are my chronicles. The Byron Chronicles, available at ericbosbypresents.com, iTunes, Stitcher, and everywhere else podcasts are available. Now, let's get back to our story. It was early evening at the Jed Johnson Settlement Combined Mess Facility. About 800 people were present. James O'Brien, Kelly, Cassie, and Don were at the designated table. Why'd they want to go and designate a table where we have to sit? We're people, just like they are. (laughs) Grouchy much? I think they just want to keep an eye on us. We're supposed to know what we're doing, didn't you know that? I wonder, has anyone talked to Ian? He's at the scribe cabin. He looks like a stick figure standing in the wind up on his tower. I'm going over there with Don to talk to him and Lars. You're welcome to come too. O'Brien and I need to meet the council. The Forrester component needs to be representative. We've got to coordinate with them so it happens. Why is politics part of everything we do? Oh well, we'll compare notes later. With that, they left. Everybody scattered to their own tasks. Cassie and Don started the quarter-mile walk to the scribe's cabin. It was funny that the Forrester's plaque identified it as Robson's cabin when he had never really lived there. Food for thought, I guess. 
Ian was indeed standing on the top of his tower. The cabin was more his home than the freehold. The freehold elders had made a promise that his official office would be in the scribe's quarters at the freehold. It was an easy enough request to honor. They knew it was unlikely he'd spend a great deal of time anywhere but on the road for the foreseeable future. The cabin felt more like a home. He saw his sister and Don Wilson making their way across from the settlement headquarters building. He sighed and decided he'd go down before they got here. He thought the Kita and Lars had a skin of that wine the foresters made. He was just young enough to relish his distance from his mother and taking a sip or two when he wanted. He had learned the hard way that it was much more fun to watch everyone else getting drunk than it was to get drunk himself. He definitely didn't like nursing a hangover, as it was called. Don was knocking on the door with his walking stick when he got to the ground floor. You don't have to beat the door down, Don. Open it for goodness sake. Let us in, out of this wind. It's open. Pull the lanyard. We didn't want to invade your peaceful abode if you didn't want to let us in. Now that you're back from misadventure, do let us in. Oh, for goodness sake, open the damn door. It's warm in here. I'm used to the Freehold's constant 68 degrees. That outside is too cold to be cool for me. Weren't you cold up on the tower, Ian? Not really. I don't even need a heavy coat yet. What planet are you living on? It's 35 degrees out there. It's 0940 in the morning. Well, this one, of course. He's just young and dumb. That age is always thinking they are invincible. That windbreaker isn't appropriate at this temperature, Ian. Your mother made me promise in life's blood that I would make sure you took care of yourself. Okay, okay, I get the picture. So, sis... What's the weather outlook? It will be cold, wet, and then thunder, snow with sleet, and hail first. If you were smart, you'd make sure the fuel supply was full for that Sterling engine you got turning your generator. Cassie, it runs on cold. It would turn the cranks the wrong way if we used hot. This is wonderful weather for our power system. That pipe for the hot water runs deep in the earth, too. It could snow a ton and we'd never know the difference in here. Sure you'd know. If you haven't done it yet, the drain plug on the dry ice chamber has to be pulled to use regular ice. Uh, Ian, didn't you do that? I'm just simply no good with machines. It's already done. Have a little faith. So, how long are you staying? We'll be here until the half-track is no longer buried in snow. Is there any prediction on that front? If you'd read your tablet's messages, you wouldn't have had to ask that. Hey, Don, how'd you get that packet switching network up so fast? That long antenna hung from the northeast corner of the tower is the relay. Anthony's got the radio running pole select rather than packet switching. Well, that means all I had to do was change the duplex to the downline devices. Pole Select is a half-duplex network that lets us monitor the data stream more easily. The packets carry a device name and look for an ACT-NAC cycle for the address device. It isn't encrypted until Ian or Cassie turn on the scribe frequencies. Then it encrypts the data but not the addressing. It's faster but less secure. <laughs> Who's going to be listening anyway? Uh, Don, darling, if you wanted to speak in another language, you didn't have to come up here. There are plenty of Apache speakers in the valley. That language the foresters speak is encrypted enough for me. I caught most of what Don rattled off. Did you, Cassie? Yep, it's almost second nature after being in Don and O'Brien's proximity all the time. Basic networking is a required class for graduation at the Apache School. Lars, didn't you have to take the same kind of chorus to get your degree? Heavens no. 
I'm an anthropologist, not an engineer. I study people and civilizations. On belief systems, I could wax poetic for days. It's simply beyond me why anyone would want to study why bolt threads are made the way they are. I want to ask, why is there air and why don't we breathe water? Mom sent a message through me, asking if I'd approach you about that level 9 locked bolt back in the freehold? The biology students are a long, long way from needing anything behind those locked doors. Well, there's more than the one? Yep, there are four. I'll have electronic cipher locks that I added a 128-bit encryption algorithm above their combinations, requiring a passcode. It is a prudent at this time. You tell mom. Uh-uh, uh-uh, I'm not going to. I'll just point her to the firewall messages I keyed to her access codes. They are an answer. She'll have to wait on me. If something happens to me, your thumbprint will bypass the security. The AI will block your thumb until I've been declared dead. I thought ancient England had the monopoly on red tape. Ian, that's simply barbaric. How could you lock your mother out of her own systems? I believe what Dad and our first scribe wrote about these doors, they stay locked until we have a need for what is behind them. That's final. End of sentence. Well, I believe I'm going to change the subject. Is anyone but me hungry? I've got food ready. <laughs> you and Ian wouldn't eat if you had to fix it yourself. They can serve themselves, can't they? It's venison sliced thin. For sandwiches, that is something I think even they can manage. Sure. Cassie, are you going to ride out the storm here or down below in the super tent O'Brien designed? I'm not going to be slumming it up here with you, Lars, Two Feathers, and Kita. By the way, where is Two Feathers? He's down at the Forester encampment, helping them get ready for the snow. Aggravating man. He's been so sullen since we returned. I just don't know what's wrong with him. They continued the banter while they made their own sandwiches. Don and Casey left after they ate lunch. They could report that the cabin was secure for the storm. I don't envy them going through that kind of storm. Lars is alone again in the living area of the Robson cabin at Jed Johnson Lake. It was 10 p.m. and the thunder, snow, and sleep were heavy. Silence was deep in the cabin. The time for rest was approaching. I wonder what Two Feathers and Lars really think about all that has gone on. Oh well. Let's continue with the story. <sighs> well, that was something. I wonder if Ian and Cassie ever listened to the brief I got from Kyle, oh, years ago now. They might be more inclined to the Foresters. After all, they are us. That, that scribe in the beginning in the genetics lab saw to that. They'd have been just like the Lawtones. Kita doesn't realize how much genetic engineering went into their survival. Theirs and the American Indian tribe's existence are owed to Rachel Cohen. Though, how she knew what would be needed was never specified. Some would believe that they were playing God all those years ago. I'm not so sure they weren't. Hmm. None of the once humans are untainted by genetic manipulation. All the failing tribes could be helped if Ian would open up that lab. But would it be ethical? Hmm. Well, probably not. Humans have enough problems with their bodies without knowing their lines came from clones of extinct hominid species and genetic manipulation. <sighs> I better get to bed early today. That storm is likely to disturb my beauty rest. <sighs> why, oh why, did I ever let Kyle Robeson talk me into all this gallivanting around with his son?
The duration of the storm was short, as winter storms were judged in 4062. 23 inches of snow fell in just seven hours. Then more light rain, giving an ice coating and iridescent glow the freeholders found beautiful. That would have been a sight to see. Yet, the cold wasn't the only danger. It's a funny thing how bad weather makes people want to hold up and hide in their homes. It's May 10th, 4062, and those adapted to the conditions have a distinct advantage over the freeholders. They are prepared for the cold. Surviving the cold was bred into their bodies and minds. To the cat-eyed Comanche and nearly antifreeze-blooded law tones, felt like minus 36 degrees was a balmy midwinter day. They could bundle for the wind chills. In their experience, it was the best time to overwhelm the unwary. Not me. I wouldn't have made it in those conditions. Makes me cold just thinking about it. Anyway, enough of that. Let's see what goes on next, shall we? JJC, this QP, over. QP, this is JJC. Go ahead. Be advised, there are a band of 90 Comanche and 60 Wattones moving up the valley towards their location. Over. What? Tessa, we aren't ready. The extra soldiers we requested from the freehold aren't even coming until day after tomorrow. It's only 445 hours. How did you spot them? Over. We have had watchers and patrols out through the storm. You should have done so as well. Over. The foresters that joined us did send out patrols, but they've not returned. They aren't due back until those 600 hours. Over. They'll speak on time in the allotted manner. Over. Have you messaged the freehold? Over. Indeed. These radios that are new to us are reaching them now from our captain of the guard. Over. Roger, QP. Set your defenses now. O'Brien must be awake before the sun to be ready over. Yes, I can see that. I'll get him roused when we're done. Over. Do it now. He needs the time with his unbloody soldiers to prepare. I'm so informing you that the enemy will reach you in eight or nine hours out. Recorded and understood. JJC out. Kelly didn't bother to even grab a coat. She simply ran 10 yards to where O'Brien's hardened hovel sat. Barefoot and frightened, she hammered the door with her fist hard enough to wake the dead. James, open your bloody door. This is an emergency. Open the door now. What in blazes do you want at this ungodly hour? The Comanches are coming. Wake up. Kelly hammered the door with her right hip, forcing the door open. Entering with as much speed as her now snow-covered bare feet could manage without sliding or falling. Hey, let me at least get a robe on. Girl, you don't just slam into a man's home unannounced in the middle of the night. I've seen naked men before, but O'Brien... Get dressed. We've got to get Cassie up, too. Ian's up and all the lights are on in his cabin. Move it, mister. <laughs> Throw me something. The locker with my clothing in is to your right. I need pants, woman. I'll get his pants on, alright. The insulated blue machine, alright. Catch! Tell me what's going on. I'm wondering the same thing. I'm just getting here after hearing Kessa's radio report. Wow. Nice floor show, James. Well, I've got to get back to my hut, James. I need to have clothes on, too. These just aren't enough. Well, lead the way, Kelly. 
You're way too chipper this morning. Don't you understand what that message means? Yes. Yes, I do. And so do you. It's cold. Let's get inside. Ian must be like they used to say about my dad. He had my intercom buzzing before the scanner went off with Kessa's call. Now, where did you hide your blankets? On the bed, I see. Sit. I'll get one. You'll have a cold from running around barefoot in negative 40 degree weather. I saw you and James when I walked up. Is that why you don't feel the cold? No way. I'm frozen and don't go there. I'm no gutter snipe. Thank you once again for listening to the Carlson Chronicles. Written by J.A. Babian. The cast in this episode are Charlie Wyrack III as the narrator, Tomcat as Lars Olofsson, Rachel Pulliam as Keita Forrester, Ellie Hirschman as Don Wilson, Bart Poland as Steve Kirkson, Micah Henderson as Ian Kyleson, Echo Uncles Bay as Cassie Robeson, Bruce Jaworski as Elder Johnson and Jack Belson, James Roberson as James Anthony, Lisa Sedevi as Rachel Robeson, Linda Johnson as Kessa Forrester, Ryan Birch as Rory Forrester and Reed Stanford, James Sedevi as Two Feathers, Tracy Babian as Kelly Kirkson and the announcer, and Bell Thompson as the sound effects coordinator. A special appearance by J.A. Babian as Bobby April and Seth Telly. Music's played by Sven Neutrons, Tracy Babian, David Feslian, and Danagel Zambo. This is Tracy Babian, your announcer, signing off. Hi, my name is Tracy Babian, co-author of the Carlson Chronicles podcast. My husband, J.A. Babian, the main author, had a triple stroke in the latter part of August of this year. Jerry was lifelighted to Tulsa, Oklahoma, with a brain bleed that the doctors thought they were going to have to do surgery on him, which surely would have killed him. Thank the Lord they didn't. He survived that brain bleed and swelling, but he is in need of so much for his recovery. I have started a GoFundMe to help with all the costs that I just don't have. I retired back in April of this year so that I could take care of Jerry, as he was starting to show signs then that I just didn't catch. Little did I know this would be a blessing in disguise. He is fighting this setback of memory loss and 75% use of his right leg, arm, along with his cognitive speech. Considering the doctor said he would not make it, I consider him to be a miracle. Medicare has only granted 12 visits of physical and speech therapy twice a week. He needs at least six months worth of speech therapy alone. That is a total of $4,000 we need to pay up front that I just don't have. So far, we have had $775 in donations of the 10000 we need come in. Please donate today so that he can get his needed medication, therapy, and also help pay bills that Medicare just will not cover, even if it's only $5. I update this account so folks can see his progress. You can go to my Facebook account, Tracy Babian VO, to find the pinned link with the title Jerry Babian Stroke Victim Needs. Jerry says, thank you. I still have a lot to write on my stories that I want to get done. Please help me to achieve that goal. Thank you in advance for your donation. Tracy Babian.